You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. What's up, Mosaic? How's everybody doing today? My name is Kevon Labrador. I'm the pastor of children's ministry here at Mosaic. <laughs> and I have the privilege of being able to minister to your children each and every week over at MKids. But I get to do more than that. I get to minister to grandparents and to aunties and to uncles and to parents and to our amazing team members. I'm really thankful for them. So a couple things. I want to first off thank Pastor Morgan and the elders of this church for this opportunity. Our family absolutely loves it here. We love being a part of this church, and we are thankful that God has allowed us to be here. Um, Next week, we begin a brand new series called Amazing Grace, and I want to give you guys a little preview of that. So we always hear about grace in the church, but sometimes we wonder, what is it? What does it do? How do you get grace? How do you work that? We're going to unpack all that and more starting next week. Now, this journey that we're going to take is a really cool one because we're going to do it with our Every Nation Global Spiritual Family. All across the world, Every Nation Churches will be doing the same thing and is going to kick off our week-long fast. So we hope to see you next week at that. Now... For this week, the video that you guys just saw, it relates to a campaign coming up here in Austin with hundreds of churches all across the city called What's After ATX. This is when we're going to have an exploration of what culture and science called near-death experiences, or NDEs. As some of you guys know, in the past, the, there's been a major emphasis on suffering in hell to try to lead people to Christ with the gospel. What we aim to do with this is to flip that and talk about the realities of heaven and Jesus and the excitement of life that is coming next. So we're going to hear experiences and stories of people who have had near-death experiences and they have seen heaven and hell and see what they say and how we can believe that. Now, I think you'll see that the evidence for heaven and a life after this is exciting and real and that Jesus will come to life for you. So if you have any family or friends that are skeptical, they really don't get into this type of stuff, they might think it's weird, I think that's the perfect time for them to come because it's built with the skeptic and everyone in the city in mind. So I'm going to give you a little peek of that. And so today we're going to start off with our scripture reading. And it's going to come from Isaiah 65. C. I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. They will build houses and will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and the descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. All right, so for some of you right now, the talk of near-death experiences and the afterlife and heaven and all that, that can seem a little strange and a little scary. That was me. Like, when I was young, that was definitely something scary. And I'm going to unpack that. You really don't have to be scared about it. So, 
In MKIDS, I'm called PK, which stands for Pastor Kevon. But I was raised by two pastors. So PK also stands for Pastor's Kid. That's been a title that's been on me my entire life. I can't shake it, no matter what. Now, being that I grew up in church, I've experienced some of the silly things about church and religiosity and some of the scary things. And I'll tell you, one of the scariest things that I experienced was a bunch of talk about the rapture. As I, when I was young, there was tons and tons of talk about. And if you don't know what that is, that's a concept wrapped around Jesus coming back to the earth for his church. Now, if we want to talk about Jesus coming back to earth for his church, that's something really exciting. Like it's something we should be happy about. But I wasn't. I was always fearful about that. Always fearful about the rapture. Oh my goodness. So my parents had a series of movies that they would show us. And it freaked me out. So I'm going to tell you about the first one. The first one in this apocalyptic series is called A Thief in the Night. All right? So, yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Woo! Now, it was supposed to be inspiring, you know, come to Jesus. No! It scared the mess out of me. I hated that movie. And it just wasn't one. There was four parts to it. And my parents would show this over and over again. They'd invite people over. They'd come over, sit in the living room, watch it. Then there'd be a salvation call. Of course, everybody raised their hand because they ain't trying to get left behind. So that happened. But it was all based on fear. Like it was just, it, still to this day, just a side of that gives me chills. That would like scare me. So this movie even had its own theme song. All right. So there was a song in the 70s by this guy, Larry Norman, that was called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Now, Oh my gosh, I'm not a singer, but I've got to at least show you guys how this, there's one line that got us all the time. It would go, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So me and my siblings, anytime it was like dark and we were alone in the house, we'd come up and whisper, you've been left behind. Oh, it was horrible. That song now, oh, if you go look that song up, look at the DC Talk version. Don't look at the other one. I mean, it's, it's still creepy, I'm telling you. So because of that, that, things like that shaped my childhood. Things about the rapture, always talking about that. As a kid, I got saved at least seven times. I was always at the altar, always. I was always asking for forgiveness, for repentance. I was scared that I was going to sin, and at some moment Jesus was coming back and I was left, and it was over. And man, this all came to a head when I was 10 years old, and I got home from school one day, and nobody was home. So I come in the door, I start looking around, not my, I sound like Kevin from Home Alone, mom, dad, like nobody was there. I look in every room, no one is around, I don't see my older sister, my younger sister, my younger brother, nobody. So I'm like, okay, I gathered up my courage. I walked over to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror. I was like, you're going to make it, buddy. You're going to survive the mark of the beast. And you know what? I told myself, we're going to be okay. And of course, as you guys know, the rapture hadn't happened. My parents came home. They brought my siblings. I was mad at them. It wasn't cool. But during, <laughs> during that time, like it, it seems silly now, but during that time, I was freaked out. And it seemed like we had a preoccupation during that era with like death and mayhem and all from the Bible. You know, we had, we always wanted to study Revelation. And you guys know, there was a series of books called the Left Behind series. And I read all 12 of those books. And then they decided to make a movie with Kirk Cameron. And I watched one of them. I was done. I was, I didn't want to watch any more of those movies. I, I had ingested that my entire life. 
we had become obsessed as a culture, as a church, with studying Revelation. Like, that was what so many things are about, trying to figure out the tribulation and end times and which thing it is and which, which one is right, which one is wrong. And I think we missed out on the main point. And the main point is that thing that every kid in here knows, the answer they always give in M kids, the main point, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. It's always the answer. If you say, what's two plus two? And M kids, they say, Jesus, no matter what. It's always the answer. But it's true. I should have been looking to Jesus and been expectant about heaven and life after death, not just focused on the rapture. Jesus is hope, not fear. And I was all about the fear when I was a kid. I should have had a joyful expectation of things to come, but that's not how it was. So with that in mind, I'm going to present to you something today that may be a little different than what you're used to, maybe a little different than what you've heard growing up or with your family, but we're going to talk about life after death. Now, what's really cool is that I read a book called Imagine Heaven, and we actually have copies of this for you on the lobby if you'd like to purchase. I would recommend doing that. It is a fascinating book, and it's written by Pastor John Burke right across the street at Gateway, right here, and he did um, a bunch of research around countless uh, and numerous accounts of people having near-death experiences and what the science have to say about that. Now, when we talk about near-death experiences, that's when someone dies has an extra normal experience, activity, something happens, and then they return to their body. Now, this can seem a little hokey, a little weird. Let me tell you, I'm the biggest skeptic of them all when it comes to this stuff. I always do that, and this is the reason why. Before I became a pastor, I was a science teacher. So I love science. I love how science and Christianity go together. Sometimes you'll hear from people, you'll hear in the media, you'll hear people say, Christianity and science don't go together. That's wrong. They actually go together well. And I feel like a lot of times science helps to explain things that God set in motion years ago, eons ago, things that we can't even fathom. Do scientists always get it right? No. But many times they help us to understand these things. So what happened here is that they took all this research done by scientists that are not believers and wanted to know about near-death experience. That way you don't have to just say, oh, it's Christians that figured this out. No. They took people from all over the world, did studies and surveys, and they came up with a couple of things. I'm going to show you a couple of stats that I thought were cool. One of them showed that 75% of people experience when they have these NDEs an out-of-body separation of consciousness <clears throat> Excuse me, from their physical body. That means it's those times where you hear about people leaving their body and they can see themselves. And then 65% encounter a brilliant light. So many people talk about traveling. And you know, you hear about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. That's where that comes from. It comes from these experiences of people seeing this light. Now, what's fascinating is that this light, people know that it's love and acceptance and grace. And when people talk about this light, they talk about seeing a bright light and then a man with a beard and robe, right? So they have these experiences no matter where they come from. Even if they aren't Christians, even if they didn't grow up in our Western world, in our Western culture, they still experience the same thing. Now, what's fascinating is that these people get to this place, they experience this light, and they have something called a life review. And when they have this life review, it happens a couple different ways. One of the ways is that some people will experience their entire life moment by moment as if it was happening in front of them. And I mean like minute by minute, second by second. But because they're experiencing it outside of our regular one-dimensional frame of time, it doesn't seem long. It doesn't seem like 60, 70, however many years. And what's interesting is that we experience the world, like space, we experience that with length, width, height. We experience three dimensions of that. But with time, we only experience things linearly. We only experience one dimension. Scientists theorize that there are multiple dimensions. And what if it's when we get to heaven, 
we could experience more than one dimension of time. What if you could have 10 years that happen in a snap and no time will have passed for you? And I think this is what has happened with people in these experiences. So another person, they had their whole life, it was different. Instead of like it being played out minute by minute, their whole life simultaneously flashed before their eyes. But they understood every moment, right in the blink of an eye. Another person, they had an experience where Jesus just showed them highlights of their life. Now, what's cool with the highlights, though, is that it was things that they didn't expect. They had highlights of when they were loving their neighbors or when they were being kind to people or when they were caring for the least of these. It was very obvious of what Jesus had wanted them to do. Now, I can tell you this. If Jesus and angels and everybody is watching my life, I do not want them to watch every single moment. Please give me a highlight. (laughs) So... This is what's crazy, though. For people that saw every single moment, they felt no shame or condemnation. Now, how amazing would that be, sitting with Jesus and feeling no shame, judgment, or condemnation, just hope and love and light? Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't talk about anything negative. For one of them, he was a pastor of a church, a large church, thinking he's doing great, doing the Lord's will, everything is good. But then Jesus asked him, do you even know the names of your children's friends? And he realized that he didn't know their names. So when he came back, he made his mission to get to know his children, to get to know their friends, and still pastor and be a great pastor of a church. Sometimes we think we're doing something grand, we're doing something for the Lord, and there's something real simple that Jesus wants us to do. And it's really amazing that Jesus still pointed those things out, yet there was no shame or judgment during that time. So... I thought that that experience is really amazing because you also see unbelievers who come to faith. People who just have never thought about accepting Jesus at that moment, they're going to. Which I think would have to happen in the presence of Christ. Now, this isn't limited to the Western world. What's amazing is that people from India, people from Asia, people from all over that experience the exact same thing, even though they didn't have the framework of that Western world concept. They didn't have the framework of, hey, we know Jesus, we grew up that with Jesus, we've seen him around. They still had that. And I think that's a fascinating testament to what God does. If you look in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says there that he has also set eternity in the human heart. I think that's why people knew it was Jesus. I think it's just like on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus walked with the disciples. They walked with a post-resurrection Jesus that they didn't recognize But then when they were done, Luke 24 tells us what happened. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, as I'm talking now, I hope that some of your hearts are also burning, that it's starting to get stirred up with the hope that is our Lord. Now, one of the most exciting things with NDEs is that they have a lot of unique common experiences across the globe. That's what really links it together. When you have common experiences all across the globe from people that don't know each other and aren't talking to each other about this, it starts to add up and you're thinking, there's some, there's some truth to this. And what's really cool is that people encountered their loved ones who had gone before them and they encountered them whole and well. If they had an issue or an illness or something going on with them, they didn't have that there. And this also points to the Bible. Revelation 22.2 says that in the great city, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. This is a place where sickness and death shall no longer reign. God says he shall wipe away every tear from our eyes and that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Can you imagine that? 
No more cancer, no more disease, no more death plaguing our loved ones, no more sicknesses, no more agony over pain, none of that. God has created a place for us that will be renewed and restored. It will restore everything we had before. And that's helpful for me. When I was 17, I lost my brother, who was 15, to a heart condition. He was playing basketball and collapsed on the court, and when they got him to the hospital, they weren't able to revive him. Last November was the 20-year anniversary of that, and I will carry that with me always. What's crazy is that a few years later, I'm 21, I'm in college, and I have a very vivid dream of my brother. Like, this dream is more real than me sitting here with you today. And in the dream, what's really crazy is that my brother and I were in college, and not even the one that I was at, a different one, and we were in the dorm, and we were in bunk beds, and he had always talked about that. We were going to go to the same school. We were going to be roommates, and that happened. And what's crazy is when I looked in his face, he looked 19 to me. Like, I can see that he was older. And what do you think that is? I think that's a guy gave me a glimpse of how my brother is right now, of how he is, a life with no heart defects, a life with no pain and no suffering. I got to experience that. And when I left that dream, it was one of those that you don't want to let go. You know, one of those that you want to stay in forever. So when people with NDEs, they describe heaven, they describe it like that. They describe it as a beautiful place, beautiful mountains and hills and valleys and rivers. And people have amazing experiences. Like you saw in the video, this blew my mind. People who were blind their entire lives, born blind, experience sight during these NDEs. Then they come back to earth and they're still blind, but they can describe things that they have never seen in their life. I'm not talking about someone who like went blind. They have never seen describing shapes and colors and things that they wouldn't know about otherwise. And then for people who do see, you saw that example of seeing thousands of shades of red, things that we don't experience in our dimension. I bet there's colors and sights and sounds that we don't even know about. One of the cool things about that is that some people came back talking about what I call superpowers, all right? So I don't know if they call it superpowers, but I love superhero movies, so I'm going to call it superpowers. And so think about this. How cool would it be to be able to walk on water like Jesus, right? How great would it be to see far distances like Elisha or be like Elijah and run faster than a chariot or be like Philip and be able to teleport from one place to another or being able to be able to speak to a tree and tell it to come to life and bear fruit. Now, If you're a farmer, that's a great trick right there. You want that one. And you might be thinking, farmer, yes, in heaven you will have work. You don't get away from it. I'm sorry. Some of you guys think, oh, okay, I'm not going to have to do that. No, when things are restored to the way it was before we got here, you have to look back and see, Adam and Eve had work in the garden. But it's not going to be hard and horrible, and it's not going to be labor-intensive. It's going to be good, fulfilling, meaningful work. And I think things like that, like work, is great for us to think about, and life is like regular life is good for us to think about, because I think sometimes, at least I know I do, have a shallow view of what heaven should look like. I have a shallow view of what things should be after this one. And one amazing thing about reading this book was that it was giving me the power to dream about what things would look like in heaven. And so I decided, after I was reading it, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a little second to dream about it. And so I dreamt of a place, right, heaven where I could play basketball with my brother and they have no problem, where he wouldn't have to worry about his condition, where he wouldn't have any fear of dying. I thought, you know what? What if I can go and read every single novel that I ever wanted to read and take 100 years to read it with no problem? You know, what if I wanted to do these things that I haven't been able to do? So if you think about all good things come from God, right? 
then imagine that he is good for you in the life to come. So a couple years ago, my dad passed away. And when he did, I also had another vivid dream. And what's crazy about this time, I told my wife about it, and she had also had a very vivid dream. And my mom had also had very vivid dreams that were more real than the life here. And it's, it's crazy that that even happens. And you try to wonder why that happens, but I believe that it's because he's not dead. He's just simply moved from this pre-life into the next one. Now, do I know that's exactly what it is? I don't know if that's what God's showing me, but I do know what the Word of God says. I know what it says in the scripture we read in Isaiah. And part of that was that the old things will be forgotten. But it's not like the old things as in you and I will be forgotten. The former things of pain, of suffering, of sin, of brokenness, those things will be forgotten and no more. But what I thought was really cool is that we'll remember our families, our friends, the people around us, the people at the church. We'll be able to interact, remember, and be with those people when we get to heaven. Now, that might seem trivial. It might seem real small. But honestly, that fact was big for me. That was one of my biggest things. I used to think that I would get to heaven and not really care about anything. I'd kind of just be like floating around on a cloud, singing all day, and like just mindless. And honestly, I thought that was a little boring, right? So I had to go look. And no, the Bible doesn't say that, all right? One thing that I thought was really interesting is that in Luke 16, 9, the Bible says this, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. That's really cool. Many people who had NDEs were welcomed by their family and friends at a welcome committee. And this is why those dreams of my dad and my brother are so important to me. Because then they're there to welcome me. That changes everything. It also means that the relationships we build on earth matter. They're not going to go away. What we do here on earth matters. That's why Jesus talks about building our bridges in heaven and not earthly treasures. So when I think about that, I tend to think about how a lot of us have bucket lists. I always have bucket lists and things that I really want to do before this life is over. And I, like things I want to accumulate, cars I want to get, nice things, a house, whatever. But then if you really think about it, if we have an expectancy of heaven and a hope in heaven and a life that is to come, then those things don't really matter, right? What if one day I still get to go explore the depths of the ocean? What if I get to go hike Mount Kilimanjaro? What if I get to go explore the beauty and majesty of a new and restored earth that I don't have to rush to get that done now? Sure, that's fine, but I will still have time later to do that. Since I was a kid, I always thought that experience in heaven and like the new Jerusalem was like something that happened after my life was over. I think that was one of the things I didn't like about it because it was just going to be like when life is done. I want to get to this point in my life. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I always had these expectations of things I wanted to do. But then I realized I've been thinking of this whole thing backwards. This life is a prequel for our life to come. This is what we are just getting ready for. This is before the main event. Basically, and this really made sense to me, this is the birth canal to a new life. So when you think about a child that's in the womb, they can experience pain and discomfort like we do here on earth. Not only that, they can feel pressure, they can see light, they can hear sounds. They might think that's their entire world, but that's not it. They have no clue what's waiting for them on the other side. When they're born, the life is more vibrant and real and alive than they could have ever imagined. I think that's us right here, right now. We have no clue how vibrant and alive that world is to come. And we have to remember that this is just an incubation chamber. What we have coming in front of us is going to be amazing. 
contrary to popular belief, none of us are living our best lives, all right? So I think we have a best life that is to come. And when I think about that, this quote from Mother Teresa really stands out for me. She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life of the most atrocious tortures on earth, will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. It's really good. Now, it also makes you wonder, does that mean that your pain and suffering here on earth is invalid? No. Some of us in this church have recently experienced pain and suffering of a dear friend who lost their life just two days ago. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. This time is hard, and we mourn with her family. Like, it's, it's really tough. Does that mean that God doesn't care about her life or her death? No, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean that God doesn't care about your sick nephew or your child or your friend or who or the cancer, or the pain of abuse, or the pain of heartbreak. No. Our God cares. He cares about us lamenting over pain and suffering. I'm going to read you guys a scripture that's been sitting with me in the last couple of days as we've experienced this tragedy from amongst our friend group. And it says, Psalm 6-6, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. It's heavy, but that's in the Bible, right? There is biblical room for weeping at the loss of a loved one. Even today, if you guys have experienced the recent loss of a loved one, I'm going to encourage you in a few minutes when we have people up front to pray with you, I ask you to come forward and pray with them. Talk to them. If you've experienced that, that people are here for you. Times like these are hard when you have loss in your life. But one thing I want to do is remind you of what the Bible says. I'm going to take a look at 2 Corinthians 4 where it says, Therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Man, it's so easy to lose heart. Sometimes we want to lose heart. We don't want to go on. We don't, we don't know if we can make it. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed. I'm going to just stop there. Sometimes I really don't know the answer. I don't know why. I don't know why things happen. I don't know how, like, what's going on. I can't answer the question. A friend of mine asked me that. Like, how does this happen? I don't know. But it says, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We serve a God who cares about the hurting and about the suffering and about the sick. He cares about those whose bodies don't match now what they will be in heaven. He cares about those who aren't doing well. So we pray for the sick. We take them to the doctor. We believe for healing. We do all of it. But let me hear this right now and tell you this. This is not the end. This life right here is not our ultimate hope. Our hope lies in the one who took sin on his back. Our hope lies in the one that did that so we can live with him for eternity. Our hope is in the one who will one day end disease, the one who will end one day end sickness. He'll make all things new. The one who will heal bodies that have been broken on earth. The one who cares for every single child that's left a mother or father too soon. He's the one who was and who is and the one who is to come. His name is Jesus, and we put our hope in him. But how do we get from here to there? 
I told you these stories in my childhood because it wraps up real nice the things, the struggles that many of us have with life. We hear stories of heaven, and we say we're excited to go there one day, but we're not really sure what that means. You know, I started to dream about what that could mean. As a child, I thought heaven was cool, but I don't think I wanted to go because I wasn't ready to die. You know, and that's plain and simple. Death is scary. You know, death just, it, it happens. I think one thing that's good for us to remember is that 2 Corinthians 5.8 states that we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We know that death is inevitable. We all know it. Every single person in history, except for Elijah and Enoch, they all died, right? And we know that it's something that will happen, but we want to be ready to die. So I want to present to you two ways that you can know that you are, in fact, ready for that time when it comes. One is to understand that what lies in front of you is greater than what lies behind you. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and it says, Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. That's fascinating to me. You know, we've all endured pain and hardships. We've all experienced the death of a loved one, even some of us just as recent as a few hours ago. Why should we leave this life with regret? We can't leave with regret if we know that the next one is better than the one we have here. I don't want you to leave with any regrets. What I want you to leave with is the hope that we have before us. The one that we've been talking about the entire time, the answer that you guys gave before, Jesus, right? So this all leads to the second point. The second way that you know that you are ready to die is that you follow Jesus and know him as your Lord and as your Savior. He's the being of light, of love, with the beard and the robe that all these people talked about across the globe, even if they didn't know who he was. He's the one that accepts you without any conditions, just as you are. He's the one that brings a promise of life. And he's the one that says that what is to come is a million times better than what we have here. Jesus is the great hope of the world. And he can be your hope today. In him, there's space for love. There's space for comfort. There's space for lament, for broken hearts. And there's space for hope. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you did come. We thank you, Lord, that you came for us, for people, for broken people, and that you have a place for us that's more glorious than we could ever imagine, that you have something ahead of us that we aren't even ready for, that we need to just continue to put our eyes on and focus on. So we focus on you. We focus on the hope of glory, Lord. We focus on you even when times are rough. So we thank you, Jesus, for what we have coming in front of us, and we thank you for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.